The year is 2021. Aiden and his co-founders are trying to build a company in AI for video understanding in the midst of a global pandemic. They are battling against large technology incumbents like Google and Amazon who are stockpiling up their video analysis capabilities. Some VCs are questioning how 12 Labs can stand up against the might of big tech. But this is not the first struggle the co-founders have been in together. Aiden and his co-founders were squad mates in the Korean military. Their experiences in the military gave them not only the skills they need to build 12 Labs, but more importantly, to build an inseparable bond between them. This deep trust forms a bedrock they fall back on when Aiden hatches a wild plan to build up 12 Labs authority in AI for video. The IEEE ICCV value challenge is coming up. It's one of the first video understanding competitions. If he can win this competition, he can prove why their team is truly differentiated from their competitors. But there's one catch. He has to go away from the young start for two months to totally focus on winning the competition. His co-founders have such faith and trust in Aiden, they agree that he must win this competition to bolster the credentials of their startup. Aiden dives into a rocky Balboa regiment, only coming by the startup once in a while to stay, say hi and dives right back into his work. But he gains a deep mastery of video analysis, which informs his understanding years later. Against the odd, Aiden wins the competition instilling confidence in customers and investors alike that 12 Labs has what it takes to build a truly groundbreaking product. Today, we dive into how 12 Labs is taking the field of video understanding into the future. Cluster Nation, I'm your host, Thomas Joshi, machine learning researcher in the Stanford DSP project for large language models. My co-host for today is one Stephen Campbell, a co-founder of Revamp AI, a Y Combinator-backed data analytics and e-commerce company. Today, Stephen, Aiden, and I dive into innovations in AI for video and how to build a durable business in the space. Let's dive in. Welcome, Aiden, to the show. Uh, can you please just start off by telling us about your work experience, you know, why you chose those positions, and what you're most proud of, and how that led to your current work? Yeah, um, you know, happy to be here. My name is Aiden, you know, um, and I'm currently the co-founder and CTO at Tall Labs. And, you know, my previous work experience, um, it comes from the military, the mandatory military um, experience that I you know, went through with our co two of our co-founders, um, our CEO, Jay, and our um, chief architect, XJ. So uh, it's an interesting story. So I went to a cyber, I, I had to go through mandatory training and, uh, Korea, um, all Korean men have to have to go through that, and uh, I went. I was able. I was lucky enough to go to Korean Cyber Command, which is like Israeli unit, eight, um, eighty two hundred, and um, Jay was my, you know, superior, direct superior, and uh, he was a squad mate, and SJ was Jay's superior. So uh, we had this this three level hierarchy uh, where we met our co-founders, and at the time, you know, our mission was to kind of uh, analyze the videos or contents in the internet um, related to North Korea. And, uh, you know, at that time, there were no, uh, you know, there were frameworks that analyzed text like Elasticsearch, but um, there wasn't any for videos. And, you know, that's how we got the motivation and uh, started 12 Labs. And um, one of the proudest, proudest thing that I uh, did while I was at 12 Labs was, you know, back in 2021, when we first started, um, you know, our co-founders didn't really come from the traditional like academia or traditional like academia background. Um, we had a great vision and we had a great demo and we, you know, we, we went through TechStar Tech Seattle, but um, 
you know, we still had, didn't have the, you know, I would say traditional pedigree. And, um, you know, that's when I, when I told our co-founders that, you know, I'll be out for two months and I will participate in this comp in this competition called um, ICCB Value Challenge. It's very prestigious, hosted by a, a very renowned professor. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to win that competition and, you know, you got that credibility and, you know, that's how we kind of, um, you know, build the technology started from there. So I would say that's one of the mo most proudest um, achievements that I had while I was at Toba so far. It's really interesting that you, you know, for early stage founders, the, the biggest thing people say to recruiting is, uh, you know, the market, but then also the team, because, you know, essentially you may not have a product market fit yet. And, you, you know, you, uh, you all have benefit from a phenomenal story that you're bonded through this uh, military experience, with, which is uh, you know pretty, pretty rich and, and connects you all in a, a real way. So that's a really incredible story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, we literally like slept in the same barrack for two years. So uh, we we know how you know this person will react or like how what it, what it, what it looks like to work together, right? Um, so yeah, I think that deep chemistry, um, that deep connection, really helped us go through um, some of the early. Um, type, times of 12 labs when we uh, when we when we just started, um, you know we started when COVID like was at the worst um, time and uh, we had to uh, go through Techstars Seattle in a remote environment. All those stuff, um, you know, I think all you know it all ties back to our deep connection um, together while we were at the military. Well, I that's, mean um, that's awesome. I just wanted to say I can I can definitely relate to at least the living conditions with your co-founder. So my co-founder Amin and I had to share a studio apartment in San Francisco for a few months. So um, definitely not military service, but that's that's one of the most interesting founder meeting stories I've uh, I've ever heard. That's that's a new one meeting in the military. I've yet to encounter that yet. I don't know if you have Thomas, but I, I certainly have not. No, I have, and I recently heard a quote that for startups, startups don't fail; they quit. Which, you know, maybe is not a totally accurate, but like the point is like you need to be very determined and know that these are the, the, the ride or die people you're, you're going to sort of go, go together with. And uh, that's incredible. You have that bond uh, uh, with each other. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome. So um, we start off every event from our 200 person summits to the 20 person discussions like our event actually at 12 labs with an icebreaker to get to know people on a more personal level um, and so our icebreaker today is if you could teach a course on any one of your side hobbies so not not 12 labs not work related uh what would it be and how would you structure the curriculum yeah that's a hard question uh <laughs> i've been married to 12 labs for the last three to four years so uh let's see uh yeah, um, I love watching European football. Um, they call it football in Europe. So uh, yeah, I, lo I love watching European football and I'm a deep, uh, you know, Liverpool fan. It's one of the European clubs um, there. And um, I would like to teach a person how to watch these, uh, how to enjoy uh, watching these, uh, you know, European football um, because I really love it. Right? And my ta tactic would be, um, you know, if you first watch, I think the first, you know, way of getting engaged to sports is because you get really impressed with the atmosphere, the amazing tactics, all these visual things, or the fans around, or mount, or the players, right? So um, I will first take the person to the most famous stadiums in the world, like Champions League and um, Champions League, or like 
um, Champions game or you know stadiums like Anfield, Santiago Bernabeu in Spain um, to let the person kind of get engaged to the maximum atmosphere they would be able to feel, and also the fans and the players around it. Um, and then you know I think at the end, um, watching sports is I think um, about like understanding the storyline and the history of the of of, of each team, right? So um, I would kind of gently introduce some of the you know background and his, history of each each teams and the rivalries across um different teams um and then you know eventually take this person to become a liverpool fan so yeah that would be uh the character that i would probably build uh, to be this person of a football fan <clears throat> you know it's funny because um you you say it because i think what americans often complain about is okay uh you know, soccer, football, we'll call it football for now on the podcast. Uh, football is boring, but I think what the, 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 the contrasting opinion is, but when they score a goal, you know, the build up to that is so electric um, that that's what makes it exciting. Right. So what I often recommend to people is to watch hockey. Uh, this is something that I didn't grow up with and just got into recently, but it has the, like the action, constant action of basketball. It has the, like the kind of the physicality of football. And mm. then it has when a goal is scored, just, yeah. you know, that excitement that you get with soccer. So I think I'm a, I'm kind of a growing uh, hockey fan. <laughs> yeah, I never watched hockey, but I would love to. Um, I had the moment with basketball, mm. um, um, you know, constant scoring and the movement. Um, so yeah, I would definitely want to watch it, watch hockey. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So um, thank you for, for, you know, letting us uh, get a little insight into who you are outside of work. Would love um, to dive into your insights into AI and from your experience at 12 labs and prior to that. So maybe we'll just start by retracing our steps. And if you could just talk about like what inspired you to venture into the field of AI, right? And like, how did that experience in the ministry of, of defense, uh, mm -hmm. you know, shape your approach? Because what mm -hmm. I've, I've seen is that the way you get into AI will change the, the work you do from that point forwards. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who get into AI maybe for uh, an analytical reason will can kind of continue in AI more along the lines of probability and statistics and maybe someone who came in because they were uh, really interested in sort of robot process automation, they'll go more into NLP side of the business. So um, yeah, curious to see how being at that, in that role shaped your approach now. Yeah, so uh, for me, I was generally excited about the technology, right? Um, like, you know, I first got um, into AI, I think in 2000, uh, 15 or 16. Um, that's when wow. the first boom of like, you know, CNN type of you know, computer vision applications came out. And um, I originally wanted to do a PhD in uh, AI. So, uh, you know, just like any, uh, any students, I applied for like research labs and, you know, did some research while I was in college. And, you know, at that time, I was mo mostly focused on computer vision, um, particularly like modeling, modeling um, you know, making good models, right? Um, but my experience, you know, when I joined the military, um, my view kind of changed. Um, it's it's just not about modeling. It's also about like the systems around it. So um, I began to think about um, AI as a systems, like ML and production systems, not just the modeling, right? Because um, we had an actual user, our internal users, um, that wanted to you know apply use the AI or leverage the AI in the way that they want to and the system has to be constant and of course the model has to be certain performance right so uh, that's kind of i think that kind of moment is when i kind of transitioned my view from 
like traditional, I would say, like lab, you know, research lab type of modeling to like um, expanding to you know, actual animal in production kind of systems for you. And um, also kind of gave me a way to uh, get the motivation of, you know, doing research and video understanding. Uh, and yeah. I think that's, that's a very common experience that people, you know, happens to people, particularly when they go to college and they study CS, like mm -hmm. you, you get into it wanting to know like the, every little detail of, you mm -hmm. know, the, the CNN, and then you kind of expand when you get into the real world and you see that that was like 1% of all the problems that you'll need to solve. But I also think that there's, you know, people will often kind of um, say, oh, you know, you're just a student, you, you just, you focus too much on the model and and building out the biggest model you possibly can. That's not what really matters. When in reality, like having that curiosity in the the details of the model is really important early on in your, in, in your career. And then you can, once you've kind of mastered the fundamentals, you can understand like later down the road, how that will integrate into a larger system. So I totally agree that, um, although at first it happened to me as well, like was really into the modeling side and then you realize there's all these kind of system problems that come about uh, later down the road. Um, I'm curious, Aiden, um, when you were kind of thinking about the model and these systems, was your ICP in the, you know, the earliest days of 12 labs before it was even 12 labs, was your ICP the military or, you know, fellow soldiers in this unit who were parsing through video? Like, was, was that the genesis for, um, you know, who you were building this for? No, actually. So that's the interesting part. So we didn't build anything related to um, video understanding for the military or like while we stayed in the military, we just had the motivation and ideas during that time. Um, and we just thought like, okay, if so we, we were so we were thinking about we were thinking in a way in our shoes that okay, we are developers that want to build some, you know, analytics on top of videos, but there aren't any frameworks out there that could do that, right? So if I were like another developer, I would probably want this technology or framework. Um Available, so um, I, we were mostly thinking, in, you know, not not just for the military, but actually in the in the shoes of the developers who, in the future, would want to, you know, um, you know, use some content or, you know, do an analytics on top of videos. So yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So um. One thing I was curious about is that Twelve Labs investors include Nvidia, Intel, and Samsung. And that's an interesting partnership. So what role moving forward do you see the partnership between AI companies and AI chip manufacturers having in AI product development? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you know, we, we see lots of news about like GPU capacity being the problem. And, um, you know, it's, it's true, right? Um, it's, a, it's a real problem right now. Um, only a handful of companies can access to large clusters for training, right? And for AI chip makers, I think they have two roles regarding like AI. Like, you know, it's obvious, but like there's the training part and there's the inference part, right? And to be honest, for now, training part mostly comes from, I would say, the cloud partnership, um, because the cloud providers actually, you know, host these um chip, chips and you know, also around the infrastructure around it. So um for us, um the chip makers actually would I, I think in the future would um, its role would be more geared to gear toward like optimized inference. So for example, we have a model that we built. Um, and if we want to optimize it to the system level and make the inference faster and, you know, video processing faster, then that's where that chip makers could, you know, really we can partner with and, you know, provide more cost efficient and more faster, um, inference 
So uh, I would say our chip makers would have that. We, we envision that partnership in the future with the chip makers. So, so then if you could talk about um, you know, some firms, uh, some, some companies would focus on optimizing that inference. Some firms are like there's, there's different ways that, to attack the problem of sort of video understanding infrastructure. Mm -hmm. like, could you maybe elaborate on what 12's lab, 12 Labs vision is and on, on how to revolutionize video understanding uh, infrastructure? And so, and I kind of draw it out like there's like, the, the operating split level here, the application layer here. You, mm -hmm. You're not playing in the hardware level. So, uh, but there is like FPGA companies that are playing at this level. So, but um, maybe just like, you know, maybe talking up here in the stack, like what's mm -hmm. the vision of how this will look different after 12 Labs takes over the world? Yeah, so uh, you know, we basically we want to be that GPT layer for video understanding, right? Um, so it's like, so I, I, you know, right now video constitutes eighty percent of the world's data, and you know, if you look at the trend, um, you know, companies have to deal with videos, um, anyways, because there are so many contents generated with videos now, and you know, we think there could be a huge opportunity there, um, because right now all these video assets are just li lying in in the data center, and um we want to be in that layer where we build both the foundation model that can really understand the video and also the system around that foundation model that best serves that um that, that best serves that model right um so you know if you look at openai for example you know, you know what's impressive is there like when you look at it closely there's the gpt there's the, there's, the, there's the model part the gpt part but um there's also that turbo part right gpt turbo that really makes the system fast and scalable to be accessible to the developers and they do both, right? And I think that's what makes um, the key technology mode for them. And for us, we do, I think we envision the same um, for you know, video understanding, right? There's the model part that we obviously have to innovate, but um, there's also the systems around that model um, because video processing and processing infrastructure is so hard. So uh, yeah, I would say we're in that layer where we both build both the system and the model um, to make video understanding accessible to um, all the developers around the world. And is there something that you think, um, so 90% of competitors try to solve the problem this way, we try to solve the problem in Y way. If you could kind of put it in those terms, how would you, you say? Yeah, so like traditional like video analysis um, were based on, um, I would say image understanding. Um, so for example, um, you take each frame and you run these image detection kind of models and you um, kind of combine the results into um, the same, into, into a single JSON file that kind of you know, maps the timestamps um, to, the, to the model's results, right? Right now, I feel like you're coming after me because I've done this before. <laughs> yeah, sorry, okay, continue. Oh, no, I think it's, it's, it, it was the only way, I would say. Um, the previous, it was the only, it was the most best, best solution um, at that time. Um, but I think the next wave would be, um, you know, to really interact videos like we, how we interact with text now. Um, so based on free text form, um, you know, user could just, um, you know, write a prompt to an analyze video and it generates text or, it, you know, do search or do classification, all these things based on uh, free form text, um, not predefined classes or individual frame level analysis. So uh, I would say that's the, that's the technology and, you know, that we are we are looking to um, you know innovate and democratize. And I think when I was kind of doing those frame by frame analyses, like I think I also it felt painful. It felt weird that you basically 
you're condensing down, you're trying to use image sort of image analysis techniques that we'd use, we'd kind of developed as a community over you know whatever two decades or even longer. And then you're trying to take those same techniques that were tried and true and apply it to to video understanding. And I remember it felt super weird, you know, sending a video to a transcription service, getting the transcript back, and then running NLP um, on uh, on the transcript itself, uh, as opposed to kind of treating um, the video analysis as one integrated unit, which is what re really it is. And um, and so that's why it's kind of I totally see the, the problem that you're highlighting there. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the multimodal component part, right, of videos, right? Because video itself has both the frames and, you know, you know, audio and conversation that's happening at the same time. Um, if you treat it separately, I think there, I mean, there are use cases that could be powered by that scenario, but um, there could, there are like lots of use cases that you're also missing out, right? Um, so, for example, if you want to generate um, like a text to describe our current situation, our current our current moment, then if you just look at the text, it will be mostly focusing on the contents of the um, podcast, but not recognize that three people are you know doing it in this podcast, right? So uh, more comprehensive text will be you know three people doing three men doing an interview about you know you know startup experience or founding experience um, of AI, right? So um, AI company. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the example that I would give. That's awesome. I'd, I'd love to talk about use cases a little more deeply. So I um, mm -hmm. read that 12 Labs recently released this, you all had a huge release, right? It was this big suite of new video to text APIs, including your GIST API, summary API, and the generate API. Um, mm -hmm. Curious, how do you prioritize this multitude of new use cases you could support over each other? Like, what's that prioritization process like? And then how does that get prioritized against doubling down and improving on your existing offerings? Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 12 Labs is still an early stage company. Uh, you know, we're still, you know, you know, want to understand the market more as we build the market, um, build the market category. And um, we want to engage with users um, that help us learn, actually, and iterate of our model and our technology more, right? So um, I guess there are there are markets where um, we would really want to go, but um, you know we can't learn that much because of you know X Y Z reasons. And um, there are customers who are willing to engage with us to you know actually build the experience and the model together, right? So uh, we obviously we, we prioritize those customers and use case more than others. And um, you know based on that learning, what we have learned is um, so we, we right now have two different types of APIs. Um, one is embedding-based API, I would say, which is powered by our Marengo engine, um, like Search and Classify. And the newly released model um, are generative APIs where it generates text from videos, right? And the way we see it is um, those two API endpoints are complementary. So uh, the request actually came from our Search customers, Search API customers, that they want to understand some of the videos without having to look at them, right? And if they have some idea, then they come with inspirations to come up with different search queries and start searching through videos. And when they search through it, you know, they find this video and they want automate, auto like text generated for that video. So um, these two product lineups are um, complementary and actually, actually came from our users um, asking for that feature. Um, and, you know, we always want to iterate based on those user feedback. 
um, so I mean, you you talked about kind of the the external facing stakeholders, you know, like users, but maybe we can start turning to the internal stakeholders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, leading a diverse team of AI scientists, engineers, designers. Like, how do you foster innovation collaboration within Twelve Labs? I think this is a, a topic that's come up a lot um, on on past interviews, which is that AI seems to take like really differing. Uh, backgrounds from statisticians to systems people, whereas maybe if you're building kind of web, web 2.0, more social network, it was really all about like you have your front end people, maybe someone doing like your, your back end web stack, and then like maybe some systems people, like maybe like a three tier, you know, three tier attack, but it just seems like there's just way more needed for the the inter interworkings of an AI team. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And uh, that's something that I also had to look, went through lots of learnings. Uh, to understand um, and you know, make sure that this diverse team um, is looking at the same vision. And uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed is um, oftentimes, like like you know, AI companies can become you know a research like like a research lab. Um, and um, you know, it, I I think one of the reason is because you know, research if you have research scientists, they usually have lots of ideas, right? That um, you know, they can and lots of crazy ideas um, that they will want to experiment and you know um, see it happening, right? Um, so I, I think the key key for for us was to make sure that the research scientists and engineers and designers they look at the same vision and you know emphasize the kind of the principle that you know the modeling itself cannot just become the product. It you know it has to be a collaboration between the engineers making the systems and designers making the interface for that model. Um, and that's when it becomes a product, right? So um, trying to emphasizing that, you know, principle and also um, our vision to make video understanding accessible to the developers is I think what kind of gave us as, you know, a lighthouse for the team, the entire team to be looking at, right? Um, yeah, it's a hard question, and uh, it's something that we're still. Uh, I think every every you know AI companies are trying to figure out. But I think yeah. something that you you brought up, um, which is this idea of AI companies turning into sort of research labs, is like a key issue that AI companies have that um, Web 2.0 companies didn't have, which is the non-determinism of being an AI company. So if you were you know kind of building a web stack. You, you knew you could build, you know, the, the database you could build, uh, or not build from scratch, but like you could implement the database, you could implement, you know, uh, some features into your website. Whereas with, uh, you know, an AI company, sometimes you don't know what will get you to 90% plus accuracy. And you have to tweak and play around with new techniques, some right. something you randomly read in a paper, uh, maybe mm -hmm. that'll work. And then you, you run all these experiments and then you pick the which one will, um, you know, which one works. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think you, you highlight uh, an interesting facet about uh, AI companies there. Yeah, and I, I think the key for AI companies to make that iteration faster, right? Um, so you don't, you don't know, for example, you don't if you're building a foundation model company, then you don't know what's going to make that 90% accuracy for, um, for certain domain um, unless you do the experiments. And um, I think there could be like 10 different ways or 20 different candidates um, or, or, or way to achieve that. And, I think the key here is to how to make that 20 experiments um, iterate fast and um, deploy and make it deployable fast, make it and deploy it fast when, when the um, experiment results come out. So uh, yeah, I guess that's like the key. 
for the companies. That makes sense. I think if there's one thing I would hope all three of us would agree on um, that that also is important to AI companies is just the, the absolute need for for data, right? It's the new oil. Um, we you know saw that you all recently released Pegasus One, which um, has you know one of the largest video to text pair training data sets with over 35 million pairs. Um, curious for you all, like what are some of the challenges with sourcing training data at this scale, and then to what extent has um, the you know amount of data you had maybe it's a lack of data been a bottleneck has has it been a bottleneck throughout 12 labs so far yeah i think um for videos uh i think there weren't any like large-scale public data out there um, even now um you know if you look at image you know you have common crawl uh i mean text if you look if you look at text you have common crawl and you know, there are a bunch of public data set out there lay on um they released like large-scale image um, data for the public, like the sources, um, but for, for videos, there aren't um, that large scale, like I would say a few hundred million or a billion level um, source of videos that people can, or ML scientists can interact with. So, um, you know, for us, you know, obviously the, the sourcing part was the first issue. So collecting or um, finding videos that can be used um, for training was our first step of our um, data engine. Um, and that was the number one priority that we had um, when we, you know, when we started building technology. And the second part will be the infrastructure to process them, right? For text and image, I would say the the compute and storage required to process them um, are very small um, compared to videos where we have to um, decode things and you know make audio out of it, you know, and save them all somewhere with huge storage. Um, so both both there are two two different challenges there, right? The sourcing part and and also the processing part that requires huge infrastructure. Gotcha. And what what have been like some key takeaways on solving those? Obviously, don't want you to give away your um, you know uh, secret sauce, but just curious if you have any perspective there. Um, I mean, yeah, like you know, for us, like for example, the infrastructure part is. Um, we we because we're all we're building our indexing system video processing pipeline for the users um we 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 could use the same processing pipeline for internal purposes to process this video right so um that's been a, a huge you know um you know i, I think move for us to really able to process large scale videos um and large video data set um and you know just you know Continue building, continually iterating, and you know, building the team around it um, to make that happen was kind of the key, and still working on that part a lot. That's yeah. awesome that you all like dog food, yeah. customer-facing products as well. That's that's great. Yeah. So um, we kind of uh, briefly touched upon like what's the secret sauce. Like maybe we could come at at understanding what is um, unique to the to, to your experience by kind of going back to to the formative experience. Uh, winning the the IEEE challenge, like, what can you share insights of, of how that uh, changed you or influenced your work at Twelve Labs? And um, you know, for, I'll give to give you an example. Um, studying electric, so I was on a project to do like, screening for heart disease, and a significant component of of that work was informed by studying electrical engineering and studying signals and systems. So if I hadn't studied signals and systems, I wouldn't know. You know what? How to solve challenges in, in heart disease? Because a lot of the the 
sort of predominant research in that work was using convolutional neural networks. Like, is there experiences like that that you had or key points of, of lessons that then inform your different perspective on sort of video understanding infrastructure? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, for the challenge, you know, I think I mentioned that, you know, I, I asked the team if I can take, if I can like, you know, just use two months to participate in the challenge and, you know, not come to the, I didn't go, I didn't even go to the office for two months. So, uh, yeah, what I was, was like, what was the conversation like? Like walk us through, yeah. um, because, uh, so there's a funny story of like Bill Gates and Paul Allen. Um, I think there is, I think the, uh, one of the Apollo missions, there's, they're sending, you know, man to the moon and Paul Allen has, is like a big sci-fi head. He really wants to go and see the, these, uh, see the, this historic moment. And Bill Gates is like livid that Paul would ever try to, to think about anything other than Microsoft. And so Paul goes off without telling Bill, uh, they have a deadline to hit. Bill Gates just like stays up you know, for days, he hits the deadline. But like it kind of, the story highlights, like how do you work with the co-founder um, and navigating a sort of outside interests or uh, curious how, how you, you thought and talked through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's uh, trying to remember that scene. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I found this comp I, I found this competition happening. Um, you know, I was just reading through some of the posts and the you know, papers, and I knew that this conference, this this competition is going to happen. It, it was it was literally the first competition for video language understanding um, that's happening in ICCV. So um, I told Jay that um, you know our CEO that you know if we could win this, um, it's going to be a huge for it's going to be huge for us and give us lots of credibility to the outside people, and. You know, Jay asked me, let's do it. But then, you know, without hesitant, without any hesitant. But um, I said, then I need two months off. Um, just working. <laughs> <laughs> because right at that moment, like we had only, I think, eight people in the team. And, you know, I was like literally the only person who was building the model um, for our product. And um, I'm basically asking to, you know, leave the company for two months to just focus on the competition, right? And not work on the product, right? So um, it was a huge bet for us, um, but you know I asked him transparently that what I, what I need um, in order to think we, I can win the competition, and you know Jay said um, you know let's do it that he will do his best to you know make sure that you know the company is still running for after two months and you know still get still you know iterate the product development. Um, so yeah, for literally two months, I uh, you know I didn't really go to the office. I think I went to office like twice, once every two weeks, um, just to make sure that I'm alive. And uh, you know that's how we, you know, have, that's the moment where I really had the time to focus deeply and understand deeply about this technology, right? I, I mean, I had some ideas, and you know because you know there are so many things going on around when you build a startup um, i don't think i had enough i didn't have that time any time to really go deeply into the technology um beginning of 12 laps but um, for that two, two months i was able to really deeply dive into the technology and build it from the scratch right um so yeah it kind of gave me some insights on how the technology should be developed and what are some key challenges and areas that need to be solved in order to make it into the production um but you know the competition is also a time crunch right 
um, there are long-term both ideas that you want to do, but you know because of the time limit, you, you are sometimes you cannot do that during the competition, right? So um, I took kind of memos of those things that I would want to do after the competition, and you know we started developing some of those ideas after that, and um, you know that's how kind of you know we started and you know iterated the technology for since from then. That's awesome. I know my co-founder and I have had some pretty frank discussions about um you know, should one of us go to a conference, but that's for like two or three days. Um, yeah. Interesting to see that blown up to the month scale. Uh, you know, definitely respect the courage in yourself to take off those two months because we would be having a very different discussion between the three of us had you done that and not won the competition, right? Um, so that, that's awesome. I, I guess we'll never know what would happen though, right? <laughs> it's a good thing. Well, actually you bring up a great point, which is, okay, so, so two things. One is, uh, if you haven't read Deep Work by Cal Newport, uh, highly recommend it. And he he basically outlines the exact same thing that you just talked about, which is in order to achieve phenomenal, great, extraordinary results, you oftentimes, particularly with hard skills, have to go into a period of, of, of self-isolation where you are solely and totally absorbed into the, the edge of your work. Um, and so when you emerge from that, then you can you can piece together ideas that you didn't see before because you're totally focused on execution. And I can I, I totally see what, what you uh, are referring to, which is how it informed the work you do now. How did you think about convincing yourself? Because I you know, I would love to just, you know, take, you know, kind of go into my, my myself and just hardcore focus without any, you know, without much interaction and just kind of study the landscape and think deeply about the, the problem. Like, is there some sort of framework that you use to talk yourself through that? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think at the time I had a framework to do that, but I had a big motivation at that time. Um, because, um, one of the, you know, before we won the competition, like one of the, one of the things that I be all, we heard a lot from the VCs were, you know, how does your technology compare to Google or how does your compare, how do you compare yourself to like, you know, I think like Facebook at that time. Um, and you know what? They were really asking us, you know, you know, are you, you know, I don't like we don't trust your technology or you don't have the credibility, right? right. So that and you know that really struck me a lot. And uh, I I just felt the responsibility um that you know because you know I we don't come from that traditional background, um, we were um getting these responses. Like it would have been different if we were like, you know, I would say top AI professors or you know, top you know, people in the academia, but, um, you know, that was the real reality, right? And I really wanted to, um, you know, I, you know, at the, you know, you know, the team that we had, I really want to make sure that they are not getting treated differently because of that, you know, because they're not coming from this different background. And, you know, that gave me a huge motivation really just to um, do whatever it takes to uh, kind of win the competition at that time. That's an incredible story. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's like chip on your shoulder, Tom Brady, you know, sixth round draft pick, you come from behind, you win the competition. Like that's uh why wow, it's, and it's really, it sounds like you, you, it's kind of like, you know, back to the show, back to the, to the wall. Like if you can win this competition, you can, uh, you know, give the credibility and solidity to, to investors, to customers that you do know what you're talking about and that, um, you, you are different from your competitors. Uh, so it really is like this this necessity you have to prove yourself, which is just an incredible story. Yeah, yeah, and um, 
you know, at that time, I just felt that need of, you know, you know, the motivation really came from um, the outsiders, how they talk about our technology. And, you know, it's actually user feedback, right, basically, right? And um, we wanted to uh, address that. And uh, I think at that time, I think the only, the best way, the only way was to um, win the competition. So, uh, you know, we were lucky enough to, uh, I think, win, win it and you know, get to this point. I mean, it would have, we would have done other things if we weren't able to win it, but, you know, I think, you know, that's how it turned out after I'm uh, I'm curious about you know this this competition being a forcing function in and of itself um you know for for pushing development forward right you probably got more done in those two months than you know a twenty person engineering team might get done in a year at like a typical Fang company right I know Thomas and I can kind of relate to that so I'm curious you know how do you keep that momentum moving forward um, for for product development for uh, you know just focus on on the technology like what what motivates you today where do you draw on today to like continue you know doing doing amazing work yeah I think the team you know the team gets the motivation from you know I think it's cliche but you know really the user feedback you know, it kind of keeps the momentum. Um, we are, I think we were lucky enough to be um, one of the first player in this market and get lots of good, really good feedback from the users. And, you know, there are questions that researchers or in the academia that they don't ask, that user asks. And in order to address those, you know, concerns or problems, um, we have to come up with new solution or, you know, brainstorm new ideas, right? Um, it's like, when, when I thought about it, it's like, you know, if you look at GPT-3, like in 2020, um, you know, it didn't work as good as the current chat GPT, right? But um, they were able to gather all these user feedback, um, things that didn't work at that time and kind of have a goal, internal goal to, you know, make them work. And eventually instruct GPT came out, like chat GPT came out and you know, so forth, right? And for us, we see that um, similar in video understanding, and we we receive all these user feedback, you know, screaming at us, you know, make this better, and you know, we want to solve this problem. And I think that kind of gives the both like the engineering team and the research team a, a, a clear goal to solve, um, while um, being versatile, making the model versatile to other tasks. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And so, if you could think about. Um, from that initial competition to today, you know, we talked about, we outlined you know, some, some techniques that were used before, like using uh, Im image analysis on, on image frames. How else have you seen sort of AI and machine learning technologies evolve over the years, especially in the context of video analysis or just in general, if you want to, I mean, obviously, like, you know, transformers, but if we could go a little bit deeper into to kind of video analysis, that'd be very helpful. Yeah, um, I think, you know, for, you know, not just video understanding, but um, you know, I think the first wave was in like first wave of you know after transformers, the first wave of foundation models were in text, right? Um, Two thousand eighteen, Bert came out. Um, people kind of think that embedding based um, text tests are now kind of solved. Um, and in two thousand twenty one, you know, or twenty two, like ChatGPT came out, and you know that's when generative tasks for text data is you know, kind of being solved, right? And then we see a similar trend happening to image now. Um, Clip model came out in 2021. And, you know, after three years or two years, you know, you know, DeepMinds, you know, Flamingo or OpenASGPT4V now shows that image language model, image generative model and stability AI 
can be, you know, found, you know, there are foundation models coming up for images now, right? So I think the next trend will be videos, right? And um, because we saw this um, order of the embedding model coming first, and then the generative model for text, and then for images, now for videos, um, I think that's how uh, the technology is going to develop in terms of, for AI and um, especially for videos. So um, you know, we also announced our like video generative model, but um, I think there will be other players that will be announcing their own video language model or video embedding models, um, just like how it did for uh, image and text. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think one thing I'm curious about too for you all with this kind of new space, right, is that um, customer success is, is an interesting problem to solve. And I, I think you've touched on it briefly kind of throughout this conversation in terms of the importance of what I would call design partners for use cases um, yeah. and, and customer feedback being uh, such a strong motivator for your team and, and for um, developing new features. I'm curious, like, what are some of the struggles with customer success in a new category? Like, this is this is definitely interesting. Is, is there a lot of hand-holding? Is there, are they holding your hands and dragging you in a direction? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I think selecting the right design partners is extremely important because it really kind of guides you how the technology should be developed and how the product should be developed. And obviously, we you know we we went through lots of like we went through lots of iterations as well, um, but um, you know, I think it, you know it's the one of the hard thing about you know creating a new market category is that there's no playbook, right? Um, there's no playbook for us to follow, so um, we usually have to come up with our own uh, solution to. Um, solve that, solve the user feedback, right? But here, a solution is not just like product, but also like core technology and research to actually solve that feedback, right? So um, I would say, I would say, um, categorizing these user feedback into certain buckets um, in a in a way that that our technology can solve them simultaneously is something that's that was very important. That's very important for us, and. Um, among these big buckets, like prioritizing which uh, which to tackle first, is uh, is really important for our modeling team to iterate um, to make sure that we don't um, solve too narrow problem, um, especially given that we are like a foundation model pair, um, and solve something you know big enough that could solve lots of lots of big problems at once. <clears throat> and if you would go back to to your younger self given all the lessons that you've learned now, what advice would you have for aspiring AI professionals? You, a couple of years ago, you may be, you're getting, you're doubted from, from customers or you're doubted from VCs, but you have this inner self-confidence that you can um, really change the way people view video understanding. Like, do you have advice that that younger self on uh, trying to make a mark in the field of AI and machine learning like a lot of the listeners are trying to do? Uh... Yeah, uh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would say I would still, you know, run for the competition. <laughs> you have to you know give yourself some credibility and for yourself confidence, right? Um, you know, it will give you credibility, but it will give you some confidence that you can compete with 
these top institutions and you know top top competitors, um, researchers around the world. Um, when you when you actually participate and trying to win the challenge. So um, for people like you know like me or people who doesn't have the like traditional um, academic background, I would highly encourage to participate and in the competition. Um, and also like contribute to the contribute to some of the core um, open source model pro uh, projects. Um, especially, um, I think one of the movement that we see right now is you know a company, for example, company announces a certain model, but um, open source com community kind of tries to reproduce that um, to have to have a similar performance. So um, you know contributing that to that you know, process would also give you some ideas on. Um, how the technology works, what are some requirements, and you know, what should be doing, what should I do in, in the future? So it's yeah. it's incredible. I, you, you talk about open source. I mean, if you're you're younger engineer, that is the way to, to ramp up your learning curve because I mean imagine if like the oftentimes the people who contribute to open source communities are some of the best engineers at um, phenomenal institutions that just need to tweak the open source software for their own needs. And they'll add a you know library to um, to say, okay, like this is what I need for my own personal use cases. Mm -hmm. So what you end up getting is like some of the best engineers in the entire world giving away their work for free. Yeah. And it's like a painter showing you, hey, this is how I produce my masterpiece. Like this is the abstractions I had. This is the, uh, in the case of programming, like these are the methods I thought about. Uh, Cause they'll walk you, they'll, they'll be comments. They'll walk you through for some new engineer, like how they built the thing and, and what the rationale is behind every decision. Uh, and then there'll be reviews and there'll be like issues that are opened up and they'll they'll defend the thesis on why they designed it in such a certain way. So like open source, uh, contributing open source software is such a hack to uh, ramping up and, and developing this high quality skills and being around people who are better than you. Definitely. Yeah, and, yeah, and I don't think the scale of the project that you do matters, right? Um, it, can be, it can be a very small, like if you're building like, I don't know, like a GPT-3, open source it doesn't matter if you're in the core part of the modeling or if you're core part of the data it doesn't matter what the component that you um, own i think what matters is that you're taking that ownership of that component and you make sure you you know you think deeply to make the best out of that component um, and address all the issues that come out of that component um, when it gets plugged into or get structured into a bigger, bigger, bigger component, right? And I think that's what's important, and you learn a lot from 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 that. Definitely, definitely. I I think one thing I wish I had done earlier in my career is contribute more to um to open source projects. So <laughs> I I think that's fantastic advice. Um, fantastic advice for aspiring engineers and entrepreneurs. Anything, any any advice more on the business side? Um, definitely curious on um, your thoughts there. I, I think that's fantastic for engineers, but any entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh, words of wisdom you wish you could have called yourself? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, I think first of all, the team is like the number one thing uh, for entrepreneurs, like having a really strong, not like, not doesn't mean that like everyone needs to be like you know, superstars, but like really a tight, I think, community tight tight team, deeply connected team is super important to go through the hardships. Um, the second part would be, I mean, we also did lots of like iterations of uh, how our how 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 our how we should develop our technology or what the overall company 
mission should be, um, especially in Techstar Seattle Accelerator. Um, we, we literally had to, uh, so, so we came up with, um, and I'm not sure if you're aware of Lean Canvas, um, but that's yeah, something that we learned in, when we attended Accelerator. But um, we had to come up with like, like two to three Lean Canvases every week. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of Lean Canvases. <laughs> <laughs> So when we, when we first joined this Pixar Seattle, we, we had a demo, but we didn't know how this is going to turn out. So uh, we didn't have any product. Uh, we just had a demo of our technology. Um, so it could have taken us to anywhere. Um, and one of the mission, one of the key KPIs that one of the KPIs that we said to ourselves was, okay, let's come up with all the business ideas that could come out of this technology. Um, and let's try to create three lean canvases every week. And then we did that for three months and uh, we came up with like, you know, really a lot of lean canvases and once we had that you know we were able to kind of like understand what kind of imagine what each path uh, would be and eventually like converge like to what the founders and what the team would, are really excited about um and you know just kind of also see the opportunity there so uh yeah for us like ex going through that accelerator and um you know going through that exercise really helped a lot to uh, come up with the common vision and the direction that we were all excited about and want to pursue. Sounds like you're the, the Oprah of Lean Canvases, just, just Lean Canvases for everyone. The co-founders, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you. Um, you know, final question uh, you know, we, we often ask is, what is the AI industry going to look like in one year from now? And obviously, you don't have to be right, but the future is informed by the present. And so a great prediction is really informed by insights about the way the world is developing right now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think we will see more open source, um, especially in 2024 a lot um, for multimodal models. Um, I think in 2023, 2022 November, ChatGPT came out and no one in the community kind of know, knew what's happening there, what, what kind of technology was in there. But in 2023, lots of like open source efforts were made. And, um, you know, I think there are lots of open source models out there now that are comparable to GPT 3.5. Um, GPT 4V came out and uh, this year, and I think next year, lots of open source um, community will be, will be working towards um, you know, how, what, what are some secret sauces there and, you know, reproducing some of the key results there. And, um, yeah, we'll just see lots of models coming out every, every two weeks. Awesome. Well, thank you, Aiden, for, for joining us. Thank you, Stephen, for, for being my co-host for today. And all right, everyone, that's our interview with Aiden, Collective Nation. As we wrap up another episode of the podcast, I want to express my gratitude to our guests and to you a curious and passionate listener. Today's discussion has once again illuminated the terrain of AI, offering us a rare glimpse into the mind shaping the field. We're building this podcast with the Gen AI Collective, so please reach out with any feedback or suggestions. If you'd like to be a guest on the Collective Intelligence Podcast, please get in touch with us. Details for doing so will be in the show notes or description below. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please leave a review or comment on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for being a part of this journey. And until next time, keep exploring, keep questioning. Thank you.